this whole uh, NFT photo world, it, it's very dynamic. It's ever changing. Um, it, it's like jumping on a trampoline in the middle of an earthquake, you know? Hello, everybody. This is Bill Bowling with Documentum. You were just listening to Gregory Eddie Jones. Greg is one of those uh, polymaths who is both a writer, educator, a fantastic artist, um, and a real thought leader in the photography and NFT space. Greg's work has uh, included Promised Land, which has been released both as a book and as a collection of NFTs. He's become very well known uh, recently for Ad Photo Verso, which is one of the go-to uh, now uh, Twitter uh, spaces to learn about NFTs and photography. He's written for British Journal of Photography, uh, PhotoWorks UK, The Guardian, Wallpaper Vice. I mean, he's really a respected writer and a voice that's uh, been uh, leading uh, conversations in uh, photography for a long time. And now he's a leading voice in the uh, NFT space. I learned so much from this conversation with uh, Greg and I know that you will too. Um, so please uh, join us, here we go. Well, uh, I just want to start, Greg, by uh, saying hello and welcome to uh, the sunny South, which is raining today in Atlanta. So glad to have you uh, joining us on the Documentum podcast and video and just want to say welcome. Well, thank you very much. I'm really glad to, to be here. Um, I just will begin by asking you, I mean, I discovered you as I'm discovering so much on uh, Twitter and uh, in my journey into the uh, land of NFTs and photography. Um, you're obviously a longstanding uh, writer and uh, successful photographer, artist, and you have also become really a force inside of uh, what's happening now with NFTs and, and photography. So describe that journey for me a little bit, how I know you sort of reinvented your own practice about three years ago. Uh, tell us about what that journey, what your art and photography journey has been and how it led you to, to NFTs. Sure. Um... You know, my work is, um, I think post-photographic is the best term to describe it. Um, I'm, I'm by no means a conventional photographer. I haven't used a camera in a creative way in probably seven or eight years at this point. And I, I, I think a lot of it comes down to just my wanting to explore the possibilities of what photography can be and look to the boundaries of the medium and, and, and see if I could even push past those boundaries at points. Um, and so my practice is very experimental, I think. And, you know, I, I, I'm really interested in exploring the politics of images, how they affect us, um, because we're so bombarded with photographs on a daily basis. And it it's impossible to slow down and just say, okay, you know, what is this photograph doing to me? Like, how is it changing me? And, and I think that's kind of the root of all the work that I've made over the years is just a questioning of how photography communicates to us and what that does to us and how it affects our, our view of the world. So interesting. Uh, your comment, uh, and I jotted it down, uh, what is this photograph doing to me? Mm -hmm. um, we, at Documentum, when Stephen Shore and I founded the first uh, volume of it, it was uh, because we were asking the same question about Instagram. This was, uh, we started this in 2015, and we had both become interested in and active with Instagram. And that was really a central question. How has photography harnessed to this new platform begun to shape um, what we do with our pictures and picture yes. in, ingestion and what is it doing to us? There's that back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that kind of boils down to my own uh, kind of personal mantra is kind of at the core of my photographic thinking is that the history of photography is a history of technology. Um, every new tool, every new capability that comes into the hands of photographers, it creates the ability to make new aesthetics, which leads to new theories, which leads to um, kind of a, an evolution of photographic thought. 
and, and the history of photography is also a history of um, distribution, the evolution of how images are distributed around the world. And Instagram certainly made uh, an enormous shift in regards to you know how we make and share images and how we consume them. Um, and now this whole NFT space is a new kind of technological ecosystem that again, I think is bringing photography into a space where it's being shared and distributed and seen in, in entirely new ways. Um, so I, it, it, when I discovered the, the whole NFT world, I got really excited at the possibilities and what it could mean for photography, um, not just as like a marketplace or a way to sell work, but uh, kind of a, on a more theoretical level, like what does this mean for, you know, the, the way that we can understand how photographs operate and how they travel, I think, is really interesting to me. You know, how a photograph travels, and um, you also pointed to the historical, and it has been there from, you know, 1840, uh, Fox Talbot's Pencil of Nature, um, the intersection of commerce. He was trying to make money with his first photograph, first photo book uh, ever, uh, as Kim Beale points out. Not the first book illustrated with photographs, uh, but the first photo book uh um, was a back and forth between commerce, technology, and this new way of image making. And we're seeing the same thing with NFTs. Um, a lot of people are being either repulsed or attracted by the economics of it. There's mm -hmm. very much an economic and marketplace type dynamic in it from my perspective, and I'm curious to hear about yours. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it's a new distribution um, avenue. It is a new um, conversation and new people or new audiences are being brought to this new energy, like a moth, like moths to a porch light. Right. Yeah. Say, say more about how this uh, how you're seeing this um, this uh, distribution and this uh, this combine of energies. Uh, what what are you, is is explosion too big of a word? Are we seeing kind of an explosion of a new uh a new way of experiencing photography I, I i think so and i i think that you know what what nfts do are, are allow photographers to enter into a marketplace where they don't need anyone's permission uh to to help to, to sell their work and and the way that you buy and sell nfts it's i mean essentially it's the click of a button um and so you know before NFTs, the only way to sell photographs, you know, essentially were through prints or books um, or, or you know, through licensing fee that you get for someone else to publish the photograph some, somewhere else. And, you know, what this whole new technological paradigm offers is a, an opportunity to, you know, pursue a different avenue. It's a, a different revenue stream in a way for, for artists. And it's a way to connect directly with um, collectors who who want to buy this work and, and have it and you know show it off in virtual exhibitions and stuff like that and you know share it with their friends um, and, and it removes the entire like physical baggage of you know traditional physical photographs where you have to ship them store them um, you have to be very careful with how you handle them. You have to worry about the condition of them. Um, you have to make sure that the, the provenance of, of, of photographs is, is clearly documented. You know, if you're looking at it as like an investment vehicle, you want to make sure that the, the ownership history of that photograph is clear. Um, and, and I, I, you know, in terms of like the, the marketplace of NFTs, it's, it creates an efficiency, I think. Um, you know, you can buy the NFT, you have it, you know, you own it, it, it transmits to you instantly. Um, you can bring it back to a marketplace and sell it um, without all, again, all that physical baggage that comes with, you know, traditional um, print sales. And so it, it's just, it's a more efficient marketplace, I think. Um, and, and I think it's also a way to um, as you mentioned, it's an entirely new audience for photography. A lot of 
NFT collectors, you know, they don't have a background in photo history or art history. They're discovering photography now for, you know, the first time. And it's an opportunity to really kind of preach uh, the richness of photographic traditions and, and, uh, and photographic literature, I think. Um, and, and to open up the appreciation of, of photography to an entirely new set of people, uh, which to me is very exciting. Yeah, it, it definitely is exciting. And, you know, you, you're pointing to uh, how for the artist and the producer and the creative, you they do not require anyone's permission. You know, it's disintermediated that way. Yeah. Now, it doesn't mean that they might not be part of a posse or a community or that they might not choose a quantum or obscura or someone, some other platform or they, or we interviewed uh, Clea McKenna and she did um, a drop with, um, with quantum. And she's also done uh, her own drop uh, without um, an alliance. And so any and all of that's happening on the creative side and and it's happening too it seems to me and speak a little bit about the collector side collectors are attracted by the you know and I, i'll be honest i've collected photography and art for you know over 30 years and sometimes you know you go into a gallery and it's not you don't always feel welcome you know it feels a little elitist it feels a little like well this they're looking sometimes at you and this i i'm also have an art gallery so i'm not I don't want to, there are lots of great galleries where they embrace you at the door and they say enthusiastically, come in here and learn about, uh, you know, Gregory Crudson. I can't wait to show you all of his work. Yeah. That usually doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. But, uh, so on the collector side, it seems to be more open and accessible as well. Absolutely. And I share that experience. You know, I've walked into galleries and felt like, you know, the person behind the desk was kind of sizing me up. It's like, okay, are they trying to figure out if I'm a, collector or just a visitor, you know, and, you know, for, for collectors, I, I think the opportunity to connect directly with artists to is, is something that's, you know, pretty unique about this whole ecosystem. Um, you know, traditionally the, the gallerist would play intermediary between the artist and collector. Oftentimes artists wouldn't know who's actually buying their work, but now, you know, essentially NFTs offer kind of like this direct to consumer kind of uh, model, right? And and so I, I think it has empowered artists to essentially represent themselves um, if they want to and if they have the will um, to do that. And, um, you know, from my personal experience, I've, I've developed really great relationships with, with people who've collected my work. You know, some of them have become friends. I, um, I went to a, a Christmas party of one of my collectors, you know, just a few months ago and met their families. It's, um, you know, the, the, the social dynamics and the sense of community within this whole space is really, I think, um, you know, my favorite part of it all. And I, I always say like, you, you know, uh, if you go on Twitter, like NFT Twitter, you, you'll see a lot of people talking about like alpha, like, like what's the inside scoop on this next project? Like mm -hmm. where can investors find the next uh, collectible or whatever, where they can flip and make a profit. And, you know, and I always say like the true alpha is the friends, right? It's, you know, there's nothing more valuable than, than that. And so, you know, the whole dynamics of this NFT space, you know, all the all the social interaction is happening on Twitter and through Discord. And you can connect directly with collectors and other artists in a way that uh, otherwise, you know, wouldn't necessarily be feasible. Um, you know, I, and I think the pandemic has really streamlined our entry into this virtually mediated space where we've become accustomed to meeting people and having conversations virtually, you know, like we're doing now. Um, and I, I think that has really extended into the world of NFTs in a way that it's created um, new communities and new friendships. Well, so well said, uh, Greg. I, I think the uh, alpha is the is the friends, the patron, the artist, the collector uh, coming together in a in a friendly way. And yeah. in a, you know, in a, in a virtual way, yes, often just virtual, but you know what, um, that is, a can be an opportunity. And sometimes it, it goes from virtual to IRL uh, quite easily. Yeah. I've seen in my own experience, um, 
Well, you've given us an opening to do something I wanted to do sooner rather than later. And that's to step back, take a step back into your personal uh, work as an artist and use your personal experience with your own art practice and follow that from what you what you were doing and how that has translated into um, your NFT uh, expression. Sure. Um, so I am fascinated and want to spend a minute talking to you about how you sort of said, okay, I'm going to, I'm now, I'm going to do this new thing and yeah. I'm going to take T.S. Eliot's Wasteland and I'm going to use that as a, as a tool to rethink, um, what I am to pictures and what pictures are to me. So just yeah. say a little bit about that because I think, I think it's really an amazing project. Yeah. So, um, T.S. Eliot um, was a, a modernist poet, um, and, and he wrote this uh, poem called The Wasteland, which uh, is considered by many scholars to be one of the greatest poems of the 20th century. It's a very difficult poem to read. It's written in a very fragmented kind of collage-like style, um, and it, 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 you know, it, it reflects on um, a, a world after World War I um, where, you know, uh, all of Europe was essentially destroyed. And, you know, he, he wrote it in London. So he had a firsthand, you know, view, a front row seat, essentially, to the devastation of the war. And um, it, it's a poem that really, uh, it, it was framed in a way that it was searching for meaning while also knowing that no meaning, you know, in all of that could be found. Um and throughout the poem, Eliot used uh, numerous allusions to like stories of myth, uh, belief systems, um, and, and contemporary life. And he essentially created like this symphony of voices that that kind of collide with each other. Uh, and, and as you're reading this poem, like it, it's hard to follow. It's difficult to read because it jumps from uh, narrative to narrative. The speakers uh, seem to change from line to line. Um, and it's just an incredibly ambitious and profound poem. Um, and, and it really struck a nerve with me when I kind of rediscovered it in, in I think it was summer of 2018, because it felt like it was speaking to the current moment where, you know, the world felt so chaotic, so fragmented. And, you know, the, this whole post-truth condition, it just made me feel like nothing made sense like all sense of rationality was just vaporized um and so the poem kind of became the backbone of promised land and what the project became was um a desire to almost kind of create a visual sequel to the poem um to to a point where i, I wanted to kind of question like okay what of our human experience has changed since the, the the wasteland was published, and what hasn't changed at all. Um, and so the work uh, of Promised Land, like I borrow a lot of Eliot's literary strategies and kind of translate them into visual form. There are um, a lot of allusions to stories of myth and, and belief systems um, as you're going through the book um, that. I, I just published it last fall. Um, the The book is divided into five sections in the way that the poem was, and each section is kind of uh, kind of interdependent uh, uh, of the others. And he, the the sequence is a little hard to follow, which is purposeful. It's it's meant to reflect a, a kind of uh, fragmentation of, of narrative, and. Um, you know, it, it, and it so happens that this year is the, the 100 year anniversary of the Wasteland. So it, it's kind of a, 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 an important time, I, I think, for the project to be seen. Well, uh, man, uh, so many like that kind of synchronicity. It's always, you know, amazing to see. Uh, and it's certainly there for you. Um, um, Documentum is a publication of Fall Line Press, which is a, a small independent photo book press that I founded 10 years ago. And um, I'm so interested um, as both an artist, photographer, writer myself, uh, 
practicing in the photography and post photography space. I'm so interested, uh, you know, from a book lovers, book creator standpoint in how photography and photo books, uh, how they are translating into uh, or may might translate and are translating into um, into NFTs. And I think you, you offer a, um, a, almost a use case uh, laboratory study because you, you as I as I understand it and straight me out, you, you created Promised Land uh, 2018 as a, you know, a, 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 a way of thinking through. Uh, questions you had about photography and then you created a book from that project it reached a point where you had you know and a book is essentially a vessel for an archive in a way it's many many other things like any rich uh, content is it's many many things but it is that it's a, a vessel for an archive and so you created uh, promised land as a book which uh, I, I don't have it yet but I'm going to get it soon uh, uh, it just looks so great and um and then and then along comes an nft opportunity so speak a little bit about how you went from okay i'm doing this work and oh i'm liking how this is shaping now i've got not just the dog with the frisbee type moment which by the way is a very cool one that one jumped out at me i didn't know it was your first one mm -hmm. now i've got you know 90 plus of these or maybe you had hundreds uh, that came down to however many you published in the book and then then you release them as NFT. So just take us through that. Okay, so I've got enough for a book, and here's the book. And now yeah. I've done the book, and now now here are NFTs. Yeah. So um, I, I first started get, getting interested in NFTs when a lot of people did, which was March of last year, right after the the, the Beeple sales, very high profile. Um, and immediately, I, I was very interested in in the possibilities of you know, the, the whole NFT world, um, you know, in relation to, you know, what I could do to further like distribute the project. And, and so in March and April, I, I started looking at, you know, how I could possibly get involved with this whole NFT space. And I was looking for other photographers that I could connect with and I wasn't finding any. Um, and, and so for the first, you know, maybe five or six weeks, I was trying to learn as much as I could, but I couldn't really find any sense of community, um, which, which I think is really essential, you know, for, for any artist. I, I think it's very difficult to feel like you're just kind of on an island by yourself and you have to navigate, uh, you know, without any kind of, um, without anyone you can trust or, or relate to that can kind of share in that journey with you. Um, and that was actually at the same time when I was starting to plan the, the Kickstarter campaign for Promised Land because we did a fundraiser to produce the book, my, my publisher and I. Um, and so in like mid-April, um, essentially the planning for the Kickstarter was a full-time job, you know, for a, a solid six weeks. And, and that really took my attention away from NFTs. So I kind of stepped back from that to really focus on the Kickstarter campaign. Um, so we, we did the Kickstarter, I, I think it was um, the beginning of June. Uh, it ran for three weeks. We, we did successfully raise um, $20,000 from um, about 200 individual backers to produce the book. And then uh, we went to press in, in Venice to, to print the book in, um, in July, in, in early July. And then after that, I, I just needed a <laughs> kind of a mental break because yeah, that's a lot. You know, doing a Kickstarter campaign is enormously stressful for, for anyone yeah. who's tried to do it. And, yeah. um, and then to print the book too, like, you know, cause there's a finality to that when you're on press and you're seeing the pictures printed on the paper and you have to decide, okay, yes, that is what I want it to look like in the book right. or no, right. Right. Print that we printed the book in Venice. And, um, so my wife and I flew out there and, at and I think we landed at like 6 PM in the evening. And then we had to be on press at 8 AM the next morning. And um, it took two days to print the book. And that first day, we were on press for 16 hours. <laughs> and that was the craziest uh, 
day of my life. <laughs> I was so jet lagged, and and you know, my publisher and the designer um, Bruno Sechel and Brian Paul Lamont, they were basically like propping me up and like <laughs> just pumping me full of coffee. That's great. To, like make sure that you know the, the colors of these things were were accurate, and it, it, yeah, it was, it was a crazy crazy day but um but you know uh, long story short we got through all that and i just kind of had to take a break so I, I just kind of took you know two or three weeks off from from the entire world <laughs> to, uh -huh. to recover from you know those few months and then um when i decided okay um you know time for the next thing what am i going to do i went back to the nft world to see okay um, you know, how has this thing evolved? What's changed? You know, is there a place for me in all of this? And, and that was when I found uh, Alejandro Cartiena, um, who is a photographer I've known for years. Uh, and he had just started minting uh, some of his car coolers on Foundation. Um, and I saw that and I'm like, oh, wow, here's another photographer. Yeah. Oh, Community, you know, finally. Yeah. 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 I'm going to. Uh, um you know he's minting photographs i haven't seen any other photographers uh minting nft photography so i'm like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna see i'm gonna watch this and see how it goes for him and you know maybe i'll reach out and see what his experience was like and then i i think the next week or so like all of that his collection sold out and you know, I said to myself, okay, <laughs> maybe, maybe there is a place for photography in this whole thing. Um, and, and so that was, uh, right at the end of July, early August, I think. And, mm -hmm. and then I've, I've been, you know, in this NFT world, essentially full time. Wow. Wow. That, that's such an interesting story. And as we talk to more people, it's a, it's a story that I, uh, the pattern of what you have gone through, you see it again and again, that, uh, you move from curiosity to engagement, but well, not sure to re-engagement to a friendship and then a spark. And then you're off and running. Um, uh, is that a fair characterization sort of of your, uh, yeah, yeah, journey, your journey? Uh, <laughs> yeah. well, uh, well tell, say, say, uh, speak about this because I, we talked to Clea McKenna and, uh, her experience as an artist, uh, uh, you know, each one's going to be unique, but not not really that dissimilar. Um, so she talked about finding a way for a project that she had exhibited at, at SF Moment to find its way into uh, an NFT space with Quantum, and she said it just felt fitting for that project. So, did the translation for you from uh, how the archive was presented in book form to how you were uh dropping them into the ocean <laughs> so to speak in yeah. nft feel feel similar or how did you how did you make that translation well th that was the big challenge because a lot of these nft platforms they weren't designed really to display photography um i i think that you know the people behind like foundation and and OpenSea, were, didn't really have photographers in mind when they were figuring out, okay, what is the interface of this thing going to look like? Um, and, and so the, the, the control, I think, uh, an artist has to present their work within the marketplace in any meaningful way, in any kind of controlled way where you can kind of guide audiences through like the full experience of the work. I, I, I feel like that's been very limited. Um, and so I, like, I knew going in that, you know, when I put this work on OpenSea, like the way that they would be seen would be specifically as like uh, a marketplace kind of context rather than kind of an artistic context. Um, and, and I think that is still a, a big challenge is how you decouple the, the work of art, you know, photography in, in, in this case to you know, how do you decouple that from the context of, hey, this is a thing that you can buy and sell uh, and really push the work as a way of like, hey, this is um, a, a visual literature that you can engage in. 
And so my workaround for that was to actually create a virtual exhibition on a platform called New Art City, um, which was enormous fun, <laughs> I, I have to say, because it was an entirely new experience of kind of creating a presentation model for the, for the project. And in a way that um, I, I think hasn't really been possible before, you know, traditionally, like we, we see photographs as prints, we see them in books, um, we see them on the screen, um, we see them in, in a physical installation in a gallery, but there hasn't been a, much of a, tr a tradition of creating a virtual kind of interactive experience with, with photography. And so when I found um, the New Art City platform, I was really excited about the possibilities of, of doing just that. Um, and that for me was a way to create an experience for the audience. Um, you know, those who were new to the project to go into the virtual exhibition and explore and really get a, a way to engage with the work that wasn't reliant on kind of the context of the marketplace to, to encounter the work on its own terms in a way. Hmm. Many in our audience, people I'm hearing back from and uh, others that I talk to are very curious, too, about just the practical nitty gritty so New Art City, I'm not familiar with that. I can't wait to learn more about it. So you created the, uh, you recreated the work, represented the work, reimagined the work in the context of that presentation format. And then did just, how did that, how did you go from there to OpenSea? Or how did you go from there to, okay, this is how the, this is how I'm going to, or just speak a little bit about that because I'm having a hard time imagining how that happened. Yeah, sure. Um... So, you know, when I decided to do the, the Promised Land um, work as NFTs, I had to decide on what platform I was going to use. You know, there, there are several options, um, you know, many different like NFT marketplaces that you could list your work in. And each one has its kind of pros and cons. They all have their unique kind of traits in a way. And I, I settled on OpenSea because, um, you know, the, the Promised Land project, it was a very large collection. And if I had to pay kind of cost to mint each individual image, then that would um, be pretty, a pretty significant upfront cost for me to, um, to actually bring my work to the marketplace. But OpenSea allows for what's called a lazy minting, where you can list the, the, the work as an NFT, <clears throat> but it doesn't actually become minted in, until the, the collector buys it. And so there's no um, kind of cost upfront for the artist to list on OpenSea. The downside is that the, the OpenSea contract itself um, isn't necessarily uh, optimized for artists. And I, I think that since I minted uh, Promised Land, um, and, and that was in um, first week of October that, that I launched that project. Um, since then, I, I think the, the um, these marketplaces, especially foundation have encouraged, uh, photographers to create their own custom smart contracts. Um, so I, I came in kind of just before that, that wave, um, hit and, and, you know, with this whole environment, like the technology that it evolved so quickly and, and these paradigms changed so quickly. Um, it, you know, it's, it's always so hard to keep up. You know, anytime that you, you make a decision in the NFT space, like there, there's some new development like in the next week that that kind of completely changes that the dynamics of the marketplace. It's incredible. So, it's incredible. Right. I mean, the exponential I, I still we've all been reeling for years now from the the reality of what uh, quantum progress is in an exponential world. And it just seems like it's just even more compressed now than yeah. ever uh and uh the blockchain and um all of the uh, and people point out and it's true you know the blockchain has been around for a long time well guess what the internet itself had got it had its foundation in the sick late 60s so it just yeah. takes a while for these things to to achieve uh, critical mass and i think we see with the explosion of the uh, nfts as an offshoot of uh, really a lot of the dynamics of cryptocurrency and the uh, that crypto culture. Uh, and I, I want to speak to you a little bit because it's around people 
and me too talk about NFTs as if it's a discrete thing. And to a degree, it is discrete, but it's a really, it really, it really includes an, an entire ecosystem from Discord to Twitter. And there's so many other elements that really make up the, uh, the it's like, a, you know, cake's got a lot of flour in it, but, you know, you better have an egg and some sugar and lots of other things too to, that makes it uh, finally in uh, a yeah. cake. So, yeah. um, and I'm going to, but I'm going to put that on hold for a second because you, you're, you were talking about something I want to, I just want to complete this journey that we're talking about. Okay, you could see you you saw this new work you were doing. You saw it as a book, and then you you were curious about NFTs, and you could see it as an NFT. And so you you launched your your platform in October um, into through through the for the reasons you explained very well into the OpenSea platform. And now you're seeing platforms adjusting to photography, encouraging custom smart contracts, and so. Just say how that, how has that process been? What has, how, what has that felt like for you? What, what has been your success or your ups or your downs uh, in terms of that NFT release? And where are you now as you think about your next release and your next project? Yeah. Um, you know, when I was going into um, releasing Promise Land as NFTs, I, I essentially um, thought of it as another Kickstarter campaign. I think, you know, the first challenge was, was getting really involved with the community and, and getting, you know, collectors a chance to get to know me. And, and so doing a lot of like personal outreach, um, you know, occupied a lot of my time, just, you know, kind of ingratiating myself with the community, participating in, in Twitter spaces talks and, and being active on Twitter. Um, you, you know, you, you have to be a familiar face, I think, in a lot of ways. And, you know, in the lead up to, um, you know, re releasing the collection, I, I made a website for the project because, you know, when you look at Promised Land, it's not immediately evident that it is a photography project. And, you know, it's it, it's not the kind of project where the, the, the point is just to make a beautiful picture, right? It, in, in fact, it's kind of the, <laughs> the opposite. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I, I knew that, you know, in order for audiences who, who don't have a background in, in photography, really, in order for them to really engage with the project, I needed to have some kind of presentation model where I could kind of talk about just what this work is, what it means to call it photography, you know, what the wasteland is. Um, and so I made a website to, to include all that information. Um, and, and I just started sending it out to, you know, some collectors that I had connected with. Um, and, and so by the time I officially launched the, the work, um, there were a lot of collectors who knew about it. And I, I was very fortunate to have some, you know, early um, collectors, supporters who were willing to share the work with their own, you know, friends and collector communities and um, this, the sales of, of the collection were, were very good. Um, and so, you know, it, at this point, like I, I actually don't know what my next project will be. I I'm in the studio kind of tinkering right now with mm -hmm. new ideas. Um, I don't think I'm in a rush to create anything new. Uh, and you know, uh, my, my time is also occupied by, by writing about, you know, the NFT, right photography world. I, I write a weekly newsletter called Photoverso, right. uh, which kind of provides updates on all the, you know, all, all the curated platforms for photography, all the DAOs that collect photography. Um, I share the work of other photographers who are releasing collections, um, and I do interviews with photographers. And I think writing and publishing in that way has always been a part of my practice. Um, you know, for 10 years, I ran a, a platform called In the In-Between, which was a online uh, kind of art photo magazine where I, you know, likewise, just, just interviewed photographers, wrote book reviews and exhibition reviews, um, you know, writing and editorializing and publishing and sharing work of other artists has always been kind of core to, to my overall practice. So I, I, my, my time is kind of divided between, uh, you know, the editorial side and, and my own kind of personal artistic practice. 
Well, I, I, Photo Verso is just fantastic, and it's a must. It's one of those, uh, I, that's a cliche, but it's really true. If you're, you're interested in this space, you must follow it because it really is a one-stop, you know, shopping for what is going on in the in the moment you know it's really really great and great of you to to do that and i think you probably don't have any other choice i i, I in some ways i've always uh had the the um i guess the 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 uh desire and um to publish books to write to create my own work and um i think there there are many creatives for whom they're not burdened by that you know they can just focus and just do their thing and i've always felt the uh, urge uh, to do to touch all of that and i think when you can do that and in your case certainly it's uh, been a it's a rewarding thing for all of us to get to read your writing and to get to uh, be part of your community and i think your your engagement with us today is just another example of that and um I think um, part of the NFT culture that I admire the most is that sense of community. Yeah. And I think it really rewards people who are trying to lift everybody up and you lift yourself up when you try to lift others up. And you, you certainly have done that with your art and with your writing and, and now with uh, what you're offering. And that leads to a, a question about uh, fellowship trust. I know you're active there as well. And so, so speak a little bit about your engagement with fellowship trust, uh, what fellowship trust is all about and um, how that's uh, connected. Um, like, like you needed one more thing to be uh, engaging with. Right. So, <laughs> so yeah. say, say, speak about that a little bit. Yeah. Um, fellowship trust is uh, uh, an initiative uh, started by um, a, a collector um, who goes by Studio 137 on Twitter. Um, and then along with uh, Chadwick Tyler and Alejandro Cartiena, who, who are the kind of core founding members of it. Um, it essentially, Fellowship is uh, kind of a, a, a two-pronged um, platform. Um, Fellowship Studio helps um, photographers drop their NFTs, they, they work as a kind of a support system to guide photographers through the process of, you know, doing smart contracts and, and getting involved with the community um, and, and, and supporting the um, kind of their initiatives in getting involved with the NFT space, uh, in short. Um, and that can take many forms. Um, you know, recently uh, we just did a drop with um, photographer Jeffrey Milstein, who, who um, created just really remarkable uh, images of, of airplanes where he right. would um, st actually stand on the runway at LAX and photograph planes as they're um, landing and taking off. That's fantastic. It's a fantastic project. It, yeah, it's, it's great. And um, it, and so, um, you know, the fellowship studio helped him kind of figure out what the edit was going to be and they helped him determine the best platform to release the collection on um again just kind of a support system for new photographers who are trying to get involved and then there's the fellowship trust so there's fellowship studio and then fellowship trust and, and the trust is uh, a collection of nft photography and, and so uh, uh, Fellowship has a, a couple curators within its orbit. Fernando Galagos is kind of really key to uh, kind of developing the collection along with Alejandro. And, and they are essentially creating uh, an archive of um, NFT photography in a way um, that, um, you know, we all think should be kind of remembered. And you know, for because like all the photographers who are getting involved in this NFT world now, you know, we're all still so early within this whole thing. And I think the histories are being written as we speak, you know, in this new chapter of photography history. Um, and, and so Fellowship Trust is kind of a way to catalog that history in a way by collecting artists and supporting um, both established and emerging um, photographers and within the NFT space. And then, uh, you know, as I'm sure you've seen fellowship also, um, uh, released the first, uh, 10 K photography project, uh, by working with, with, uh, the archive of August Sander, who is, 
uh, legendary photographer from the 20th century. And, and that was just an incredible experience <laughs> to, to, to witness, you know, that unfold and, and how the community, how the NFT community really embraced that collection. So, so that's fellowship in a nutshell, I think. <laughs> no, that's a great overview. And you've been, you've been working with them alongside them uh, from the beginning. And um, I, I, the August Sander uh, drop was, uh, I participated in it with my uh, daughter and son. We were fortunate to be uh, able to uh, acquire some of the couple, three of those NFTs from that. And mm -hmm. um I found uh, that uh, collecting, uh, and I, I don't know, I, ha I haven't, I have not become as active as I want to be. But that one, that single experience, uh, demonstrated to me how satisfying and uh, it is to patronize and support uh, art, and and certainly August Sander now through three generations of the Sander family have. Uh, brought that archive forward and I think re-energized it in a way through its introduction into the NFT bloodstream. And yeah. there's now 10,400 super fans uh, and more because yeah. it's being actively traded and people are actively engaging with it. And uh, yeah, it, it, it's incredible. It's an incredible collection. I think that, you know, it's done many things. I, I think principally it's it's brought an entirely new audience to the work of August Sander in, you know, mm -hmm. and a way to kind of share his legacy and his importance within, you know, the photographic canon um, with an entirely new, you know, uh, set of interested uh, photography enthusiasts. And, and it's also a tremendous case study in using the blockchain itself as an archive, because, you know, when you mint, when you create an NFT, it exists in the blockchain. It's there forever. You can't change it. I mean, you, you the, the owner could burn it if they wanted to, but there's no real incentive to doing that. Um, and, and so the, the entire legacy of August Sander is there on the blockchain publicly available for anyone to find and search through and explore. And, and I think it'll be the first of many, I think, photography estates um, to enter into uh, the blockchain, considering it as an archive, but also as a way to um, to raise funds, to preserve you know the legacies of these photographers, to make sure that they're not forgotten. Um, and to make sure their work isn't buried in a box somewhere right. in a storage facility in a museum right. basement, you and know, a and a dozen scholars that know about it and, uh, maybe, uh, 150 collectors know about it, but exactly. uh, not, not the 8 billion people on the planet earth who might be able to be moved by it or otherwise, uh, have yeah. their lives lifted up by it. And for a scholar, you know, if you're interested in studying the work of August Sander, you don't have to fly halfway around the world and get permission to dig through, uh, you know, museum archives to, to discover um, work that, that is relevant to their research. You, you can go online and find it. It's all right there now, all 10,000 plus images that survive, you know, from his archive are right there. Well, I wanted to ask you about the collecting aspect of it and what you're learning from the interactions you're having with collectors and you may be collecting yourself. Uh, how do you how would you describe the uh, the action there? How is that? How are these collectors and their collections? Uh, how's that unfolding and how do you see that um, the pluses and minuses of, of that for photography? Um, man, that, that's a whole that's a topic for a whole <laughs> podcast. I know. I think, um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, what, what's interesting to me about this whole collecting dynamic, you know, and we touched on it earlier is it, 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 it offers the opportunity for artists and collectors to, to connect directly with one another and to develop relationships, which, you know, the, the traditional models of, you know, photography marketplaces haven't necessarily facilitated that kind of uh, dynamic. Um, and I, I also think that, you know, when you're a collector, when you're collecting pieces just because you love them rather than because you think it might be a good thing that you can flip and make a profit of, it, um, you know, if you're collecting because you genuinely love the piece, I think that is a form of art and expression in itself because, you know, I think all humans, you know, we all have this instinct to collect 
And I think a lot of that is derived from looking to, you know, looking for things that we see ourselves in and just trying to bring them closer. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I, I, having collected, you know, photography, you know, in the NFT space myself, like I, I, I love finding work that I personally resonate with that I kind of see myself in and relate to. And, and I just want to have that closer in my life. And anytime I want to visit that piece, I just open up my, my wallet and, and, and look at it, you know, and I, I have plans to get a couple digital frames so I can hang them up in, in my house and exhibit those, you know, for, for guests and things to look at. Um, and, and I think that, you know, what's also unique about collecting within this ecosystem is that if you go to a photography collection on OpenSea or Foundation, you can see everyone else who bought a piece from that artist. So immediately, you know, that, that creates a sense of community. You know, you can reach out to those people and say, hey, I saw you, you know, collected so-and-so's piece. I own one of those too. You know, what do you think of his work? Or what do you think of her work? And, um, you know, it, it, uh, it, 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 it creates like the social glue in a way. It, 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 it's this... Um, you know, the, the nature of these NFT marketplaces, the public nature of, of these transactions, I, I think really facilitate new relationships and, and friendships among collectors. And, um, you know, again, not, now that we're in this world that's so virtually mediated, where we're all working from home, where we've had to, uh, you know, a lot of us have been starving for, you know, new personal relationships that I think that the timing of the emergence of this NFT world has, has been perfect for this new kind of paradigm to take hold. And that's such a great observation that uh, the possibility even, and especially maybe on the collector side is the, is the transparency and the ability to form new bonds, new relationships uh, to create sharing, you know, yeah. and um, you had talked about it earlier and it comes up again. It seems to come up, uh, in a lot of different uh, ways that uh, through this uh, shared experience around uh, uh, these uh, non-fungible tokens, there are opportunities for communication, for sharing, for community building that just aren't there with a, with a print. And I love a print. I mean, I, I remember my first darkroom experience. It was like magic when, you know, silver gelatin print came to life, you know, and I, I, I still am a analog object in an analog world and i will never not like prints but but there there is a limit to we had an exhibition opening at the fall line gallery last night and you know we were thrilled to have 30 40 people you know but that's 30 40 people it's not 30 40 000 people you know yeah. and so yeah. so there are constraints that um that the traditional art uh which will never go away right that's what right. marshall McLuhan taught us is that the new the new technologies never obliterate or erase. Uh, radio didn't go away when TV came, and TV didn't go away when YouTube came. It just becomes something different, um, and the same will be true of traditional art. Yeah, and, and there are photographers who are still still making daguerreotypes. You know, right? Exactly. Um, nothing is ever replaced. It's just supplemented, and and and, mm -hmm. and the possibilities in the world and the conversations of photography. It will just they just continue to expand um and that i think is what you know again one of the biggest things that interests me is that you know we're witnessing a new chapter in the history of photography and how photographs are distributed how they're valued as, you know by collectors as objects to own um and i i think that what also interests me is the potential for this new technology and this new ecosystem and all its dynamics to influence how photographers approach making their work, I think. And that's something I, I think we saw with Instagram when, when photographers flooded to Instagram, I think in a way it, um, you know, kind of subtly and subconsciously, it, it kind of started to change the way photographers thought about what makes an effective image um and i i think this nft ecosystem will, will do the exact same thing and i'm very curious to see what 
a, a, a truly blockchain native photography project looks like. Because to this point, you know, all the photographers in the space, they have listed all the work uh, for sale that they already have made, right? And um, like that won't stop. More photographers will continue to come in and, 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 and mint, you know, their, the, the projects that they've already made. But I think that, uh, you know, especially a lot of these early photographers who have been involved, I think they will cycle into making work specifically with NFTs in mind. And it'll be very fascinating to see what that ends up looking like. Totally. Uh, we I use the word translation. That's what's happening now. There's nothing wrong with that. We're translating into this new world because we haven't yet understood what the full native potential yeah. is, but we're discovering it little by little and yeah. including in conversations like this. And uh, before, before I, um, well, I'll just go ahead and say, uh, Greg, how grateful I am to have this conversation with you and how much I've enjoyed it. And uh, uh, Photoverso and uh, your Substack. What's what's the, the your Substacks? Uh, oh, called? it's it's a, it, it's photoverso.io. Okay, same same branding. And then um, I visited your website, of course, and it is really a beautifully designed website and a great experience. Uh, just to, to go, I don't say that about very many websites I visit, but your your website is actually a great uh, experience to go there and and read and see. Um, and um, so I just. I want to say thanks well thank you it was uh, a total pleasure to to chat with you on this and we'll, we'll keep the conversation going totally absolutely I mean, this whole uh nft photo world it, it's very dynamic it's ever-changing um it, it's like jumping on a trampoline in the middle of an earthquake you know it, <laughs> there are uh, a, a lot of moving parts to all of this and it, it's just been really cool to watch it grow and evolve to this point and uh, i can't wait to see what comes next and you've been such a leader and such a part such a important part of it and it's as you say it's dynamic and it's ever changing and rapidly changing no one has a crystal ball of course uh we don't know where everything is going to uh end up but i i i really would like to ask you who are some of the emerging artists projects platforms dials upcoming drops or things that you're keeping your eye on and I, i'll go ahead and do your disclaimer i mean there's there are many many more you'll just mention the ones that are top of mind and i know there'll be many that won't be mentioned that are also uh, in your heart but what are what are some sure. of those that you're 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 energized by right now um well at the top of my mind is um david brandon Geeting. um who is uh, just a, a, an incredible photographer is based in Brooklyn and, and he is about to do a drop with fellowship um, uh, of this project called amusement park, which I actually wrote a review of the, the book of that project back in 2017. Um, and so it, it's, it, it's kind of been with me for a, a long time and I've always really admired and appreciated um the invention of, of that that David brings to his work and the the manic energy of it and if you see the pictures you'll know exactly what I mean um so that that was actually supposed to uh, be released yesterday but the the um, Russian invasion of Ukraine right. um, fellowship decided to kind of put a hold on on things um you know out of, of respect. So I, I think David will be releasing that project next week, early next week, which um, so so top of mind, that's I, I think the project that I'm most excited about. Um, but there are, yeah, um, maybe too many to name. <laughs> what about DAOs? Are you seeing uh, what's the flow of DAOs and DAO creation? Yeah, so um, I'm actually part of a DAO called Untitled. Um, which is a group of both collectors and artists who we've essentially pooled together a treasury of ETH to, to collect uh, photography in the NFT space. Um, and, and so every other week we pair one artist with one collector within our group and they kind of collaborate to decide, uh, okay, what are we going to collect next? And so there is a Twitter for that, Untitled DAO, um, that I would encourage you guys to follow. 
we 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 are building. I, I think so far the collection has been positioned towards emerging photographers in the NFT space, kind of a way to support um, artists we think should have more recognition. And as the NFT photography world expands, it is becoming harder and harder for kind of independent photographers to get attention for their work. Um, and so a big mission of ours is to kind of help to support um, artists who aren't supported by curated platforms, but are kind of going at it on their own. Um, and then there's Raw DAO as well, uh, which is a much larger kind of collecting DAO. I think they have probably five or 600 members at this point. Um, and their goal is to create, uh, I think, the largest collection of NFT photography. Mm. And so they recently collected work uh, from uh, New Zealand photographer, Mickey Smith, who I had a Spaces chat with uh, the other day, who's a really incredible conceptual photographer. Um, and um, and I'm uh, just kind of waiting, uh, eager to see what uh, that DAO decides to collect next. Wow. Well, that's that's helpful. And uh, if 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 people want to have more, they should go to your. Uh, I mean, your your Adverso is just so such a great place to t check in with, and I check in with it every day. So everyone should do that. And and. Well, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, people, including us, putting things on pause uh, in view of uh, the tragedy that's unfolding in Ukraine. Yeah. And um, I, over the last 48 hours, I've been a little bit less active on Twitter, but I know things are popping on Twitter about what can be done to support uh, 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 photographers in Ukraine, artists in Ukraine, people in Ukraine. And is there anything you're seeing uh, with regard to NFTs uh, that could be done to support uh, that, what we need to do in solidarity with our friends in Ukraine? Yeah, well, well I, I'm actually, a after this um, call, I'm going to start writing the newsletter for tomorrow. And it's going to be dedicated to sharing the work from um, photographers in Ukraine. Um, and so there are, um, there have been some lists circulating on Twitter of, um, uh, Ukrainian artists and photographers, um, and, and a, a lot of their fellow artists have been sharing those. A lot of collectors have been sharing those. And I, I think there is, uh, kind of a movement right now to, to try to support, um, those artists by collecting their work and, you know, doing um you know what we can um to make sure that you know their livelihoods are preserved as, as well as they can be at right now um i i think it's still very early i i feel like more initiatives will emerge I, i've heard uh and seen some chatter about uh DAOs organizing uh initiatives to to support ukrainian artists or um, possibly send donations. I, um, I, I think I saw that uh, there's a editorial platform called uh, the, the Kiev Independent that is accepting um, donations in Bitcoin and Ethereum, and, and they've been very active in, in kind of reporting updates on, on the situation there in Ukraine. Um, the, again, it's still very early. I, I think, you know, for anyone interested in, in trying to pursue some of those initiatives, which I hope everyone listening here does, um, just go to Twitter, you know, keep an eye out for, you know, opportunities to, to support and, and lend assistance wherever you can. Yeah, great. And thanks for that. And, um, you know, I, I don't remember who said this and I wish I did. And I don't know exactly how they said it. But um, the idea is this. A person always makes a mistake if they do nothing because they feel all they can do is a little. Yeah. So anything we can do yeah. will make a difference. So, yeah. It, yeah. I, I, I think I read a similar quote uh, recently, something like, you know, when when we get to the end of our lives and we look back, we, we regret things that we didn't do rather mm. than things that yeah. we did do. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Greg, I hope you have a great day, man. And uh, this has been so generous and I want to do, I want us to collaborate on some more things. I think there's a, an opportunity for fall line documentum at Photoverso, Bill and Greg to do some stuff together. So yeah, watch, watch out, man. I'm going to be, I'm going to be in your ear. 
All right, please do. Uh, I'm always happy to discuss possibilities. Yeah, sounds great, man. Thanks again. Thank you, guys. Well, that's a wrap, everybody. And thanks for tuning in with me to be in conversation with Gregory Eddie Jones, one of the real thought leaders in photography, uh, great writer, great artist, and doing wonderful things uh, with NFT photography. We're still learning. I'm sure you are. Maybe while you're tuning in and uh, we have other resources available for you to uh, learn more about this. Uh, this is brought to you by Fall Line Press, and we certainly would love to see you there. We also have Twitter and Instagram accounts at Documentum TV. Uh, and I, as the publisher of Fall Line, have uh, created a new Substack uh, newsletter called Patient Letters. And that's where I am on Twitter under Patient Letters or on Substack, patientletters.substack and hope to see you soon and thanks for tuning in.